Hello everyone, Sam here. Just before we start this podcast, I would like to apologise for the quality of the sound in this episode. Tom is on holiday and recorded through his laptop microphone this week, so sorry about that. Please don't let it distract you too much though, it is a brilliant episode. Right, anyway, on with the podcast. So we are doing flying today, uh, we're playing crashes today aren't we? Just so I haven't got massively confused. Yes, unsuccessful yes, flying. poor flying. flying. Or was it? Flying fuck-ups. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've just created two titles and excellent YouTube videos. <laughs> Flight fuck-ups and did they really do it? <laughs> the only thing they need is ten flight fuck-ups or five stories you would not believe. Yeah. Number four will shock you. This is definitely sounds like Channel 5. <laughs> all it needs is a scantily clad all... lady presenter <laughs> well i was going to say something similar have you noticed how with those sort of clickbaity youtube videos a thumbnail is always of a woman's tits <laughs> yeah. you know the pitch will be some woman with big tits and it'll be like a split second of this 10 minute video where this woman should involved. be walking past in the background yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they've zoomed in on her like a cricket cameraman <laughs> <laughs> Should we do the countdown in the style of some pre-flight checks? Engines, three, two, and one are all on fire. <laughs> you see what I did there? I mean, clearly you didn't because you didn't join in, but that's what I was doing there, Tom. It was a planes on fire yeah. joke. Yeah, I was a little bit lost. I was wondering what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, well, panicking and screaming at that point, I think. If you've got three engines out, that's that's you're done. How many engines does a plane usually have? One, two, or four. I mean, some have three, but at any rate, three engines shouldn't be on fire. That's usually bad. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's fire coming from anywhere on your plane, exits are located here, here and here. Yes. Welcome, one and all, to That Was Genius, the history podcast in which me, myself, Tam... Me, myself, Tam? Yeah, I've got that right. Me, myself, Sam. <laughs> that's my Tam. name. Me, myself, Tam. 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 Hello. Jam. I'm Tam. <laughs> Damn, I like jam. Yes. So me, myself, uh, the completely... And ham. <laughs> non-literate Sam. And Tom, who, as you can clearly tell, is from New Zealand because of his accent, tell history stories on a theme <laughs> each week. And what is the theme this week, Tom? The theme is plane crashes. Plane crashes, yeah. And where did that come from? I think I made a, a joke. It may not have even made the cut about Buddy Holly, didn't I, last week? Yes, you did, yes. I think that's where the idea came from. That was 1959, incidentally. Buddy Holly got killed. And he also, in the same plane crash, was a chap called Richie Valens and J.P. Richardson, mm. who was known as the Big Bopper. So lots of rockers. Yeah, quite the plane crash for world pop music, wasn't it? At the time, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And did you know that the lyrics, The Day the Music Died, in the song American Pie, refers to that incident? I, do you know, I think I had heard that before, but that's good music knowledge, Tom. Thank you very much. It wasn't music knowledge that I, I possessed. It's music, <laughs> it's music knowledge I researched. Um, <laughs> there is a lot of air travel domestically in New Zealand on planes that are very, very small. Yeah. I love those. Good yeah, fun. I love them. You've got, you have a few in the UK as well. If you don't fancy paying £250 for a train ticket for a five-hour journey, uh, you can pay £60 for a one-hour plane ticket which is possibly not very environmentally friendly, and I feel bad about it, but no. if you've got to be somewhere fast. Uh, they're super fun. They're amazing. It's like flying... How many seats? How many seats I mean, are those? For most of me talking, maybe 
40, 50 seats, something like that, and they've got propellers rather oh, than yeah, jets. You can, you can probably halve that and halve it again, some of the domestic flights in New Zealand. <laughs> they might only have... I think some of them I've heard, the pilot actually has to look at who's sitting where and adjust it for weight balance. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, a real, that's a real thing. Well, I, I once went on a flight in... Um, well, I've had t- two particularly dangerous flights in my life. The first time uh, was my dad, who had a private pilot's license and the sense of navigation of... Uh, I don't know, what, what's really bad at navigating, Tom? Let's think... Uh, but anyway... A white. <laughs> oh, that's not getting edited. <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> yeah, he, his navigation sense was not good, and I flew with him a couple of times in his tiny little one-engine planes which you rented by the hour and these flights usually involve flying to another airfield having a bacon sandwich and flying home sounds like a great day out but one of his flying lessons it was it was his navigation test and he flew up and he was circling around and around and around you have to navigate via the map but you also look for points on the ground that you recognize and look correlate to the map so observation towers and hills and rivers and things and his flying instructor was like right andy where are we and he was flying around a circle i don't know i this looks vaguely familiar, but I don't know where we are. And they went round and round and round. The flight, the flight instructor was like, look, Andy, just look for points that you know. Look for things on the ground that you might recognise. No, I don't. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm really lost. And they were flying around for about half an hour, bearing in mind this plane has maybe two hours of fuel on it. So they were starting to run low on fuel. And eventually the flight instructor just got bored of this and said, Andy, we've been flying around in circles above your own house for half an hour now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very kind there because I thought that was going to be the punchline, <laughs> but I didn't jump in with it. Yeah. <laughs> we all knew where this story was going. <laughs> yeah. The other, very good. The other incredibly dangerous flight I took was in Pakistan, and it was up to Gilgit, which is an airport, a very, very small airport in the Himalayas in Pakistan. And we were very lucky because we were on the inaugural flight of the new plane. And we got to go on the new flight, on the first flight of the new plane, because all of the old planes had recently crashed. <laughs> Oh. on this one route and it was a tiny little plane like seated maybe 20 people and they basically couldn't fly higher than the mountains its range of operation was lower than the top of the mountains so you had to fly literally through the valley through the mountains it was the most incredibly beautiful flight and at one point the air stewardesses came around and told us to pull down all of the window blinds and we're like well, what's this are we flying over a military installation or something like this 15-20 minutes later they came around and they let us open the window blinds again. It was only a one hour flight and apparently the reason why we had to close the window blinds is because two of the last three planes had crashed because we'd been flying past some of the particularly beautiful mountains and all of the passengers had rushed from one side of the plane to the other and it had flipped over. <laughs> so, so their solution to this was just to close the blinds and not tell anyone. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's brilliant. Yeah, great. Beautiful I mean, I, I can think of a simpler solution, but I mean, that's just because I'm really super intelligent, <laughs> which is just to even out the landscape. Yeah, well, yeah. do you know what? Yeah, that would work. Why not just shift one of the mountains, you know, and make it balanced so you've got good, good views on both sides? Yeah. For fuck's sake, people. I mean, what they could have possibly done as well, which wouldn't involve quite so much geoengineering work, would be to just, like, do a circle in the plane. <laughs> do a yes, little loop. Yeah, do a loop. Everyone gets a look. Yeah. Or I, th- I thought what you're going to say there is, is have posters that they stick to the outside of the windows <laughs> yeah there's just a little man on the back of the wing just rolling this thing past really fast yeah. it, like the scenery's changing <laughs> a big roll of wallpaper <laughs> yeah, so he's on, 
yeah, he's on a he's on a little bike pedaling hard to, <laughs> to, 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 to get the pictures moving. Yeah. Good. Well, how have you found this week, Tom? This was a good one. I think I've come up with a very good one, actually, Amazing. to talk about. I've got quite a lot of honorary mentions because I basically found a massive list online of plane crashes and went through each one trying to find anything that was sort of interesting. <laughs> and um, I found a lot of things that were interesting, but I couldn't really fill up half an hour with. Lots of honorary <laughs> mentions. Good. I've really enjoyed this one. I've actually, for, for various bits of work and projects I've done in the past I've I've looked at plane crashes in which almost everyone died and some people have had some horrible survival experiences but having talked about that last week I decided this week I'd go slightly different so I've not done a kind of a shipwreck style story of survival boring, boring. I've also I've stretched the boundaries of what counts as historical this week quite significantly <laughs> Right. So I'm going... Has this not happened yet? No, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you're planning on flying to Vancouver today... I have check a your seat feeling belts. you shouldn't. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> have you seen those um, pictures online that people upload where there's been uh, a psychic has been arranging a meeting and it's been cancelled at short notice for... Um, unexpected reasons. Yeah. <laughs> unexpected for unexpected reasons, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've gone 2009. Wow. Which I know that really barely counts, Fuck. does it? Decade um, ago. Yeah. Decades. I decade. I do have one honourable mention though. I've got one honourable mention. Hit me with it. Go on, hit me. Go. Oh, fine. Great. Okay, we're starting with it right now. So, 1963, and a plane crash involving a guy called Frayne Selak. Have you heard of him? No, I probably did come across this one, though, but ah, go ahead. So, Frein Selak, or Fran Selak, is a Croatian man who is known as the man who escaped death because he has escaped seven near-death experiences. Huh. He's still alive. He's 90 years old. and he also, Is he a cat? He's not a cat. He is a man, but he did also win the lottery. So, he is a man. What a lucky fucker. really has lived his life. And, and he was in a plane crash, and the plane crash was his second lucky escape. Uh, his first was in 1962, when he was in a train crash, and the train derailed going through a mountain canyon in heavy rains and fell into a river. 17 people drowned in the river, but he was pulled to safety and survived with just a broken arm. The next year, in 1963, his first and only ever plane flight, a plane door malfunctioned and blew open, and he was thrown out of the plane mid-air, and landed in a haystack. The plane crashed, 19 wow. people died. He was the only survivor as the person who was sucked out of the door before it crashed. Wow. Three years later, bus crashed, bus skidded off the road, four passengers drowned after it fell into a river. He survived with cuts and bruises. Right, I'm, 19... I'm starting to work out who the common denominator is <laughs> Yes, <here>. indeed. <laughs> How many life insurance policies did he have? Various wives yeah. have. Uh, in 1970, his car caught fire whatsoever. whilst he was driving and he managed to escape All and roll to freedom. forms of transport thus far. Well, yeah. They? It's not quite as you know, dramatic if you survive a chronic disease. So, yeah, 1970, <laughs> his car caught fire. He rolled to safety and the car exploded. Three years later, a fuel pump exploded in his car, spraying the engine with petrol. The car blew up again. He lost all of his hair in that incident, but was otherwise uninjured. Uh, hit by a bus in 1995. <laughs> Did it grow back? Yeah. That's a weird thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> lost, 
Was he, was he wearing a wig? Is that why he lost all his hair? <laughs> I think so. Well, I mean, his hair <laughs> was, his hair was burnt off. I think his head was probably quite badly burnt, given that all his hair was <laughs> yeah, burnt off. Just, yeah, it wasn't just cleanly shaven at the end. Oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> 1996, he swerved his car into a guardrail in a narrow, uh, narrow miss with the United Nations truck driving through a mountain road. His car came off the mountain and he was thrown out of the windscreen. Survived. The car exploded in a river because uh, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Wear your seatbelt, kids. Is he just like? Is he just like crazy? Does he yeah. just love stunts? Because well, all of these, all of these accidents seem to be him getting thrown out of yes. a door or a window. Well, in this particular one, it was quite the stunt ending. He ended up dangling by his arms from a tree, so he was thrown from the windscreen and ended up clinging onto dear life from a tree as the car plummeted a hundred meters down. <laughs> is this there guy a bullshit artist? Is there evidence no, to suggest yes, that this yes, actually happened? All happened. It all happened, and uh, and then in two thousand and three. Just after his 73rd birthday, he won about £700,000 on the lottery. 1.1 million US dollars. So there you go. Frayn Salak, who survived a plane crash by being blown out of the door and landing in a haystack. That's my honourable mention, Tom. What an eventful life. Yeah, I know, I know, right? Never get into a car with Frayn Salak. Jesus. I know. He just sounds like Mr. Bump. <laughs> <Doesn't he? laughs> just an incredibly wow. clumsy man with a bandage round his head. I mean, that is... <laughs> That is Mr. Bump meets The Wire, though, isn't it? That's Game of Thrones' Mr. Bump, in which millions of other innocent people die. Mr. Tickle didn't make it through the train crash. Mr. Grumpy was killed in the crash with the UN truck. All the little misses are dead. Yeah, Yeah, he was after their life insurance policies. That was the thing. I just imagine Mr. Bump smiling as he walks through life, and behind him there's just chaos, things blowing up, cars <laughs> going off the roads. He's Mr. Like, Bump's just walking along. He's <laughs> like Kaiser Sozang, <laughs> the usual suspect. He's just walking with a limp, and then as the flames and all the ambulances go the other way, his limp straightens out, and he just starts marching off down the road. <laughs> who is Kaiser Sozang in that film? I can't remember who, which which of the uh, usual suspects. I isn't. You know what? Neither can I. That's really stupid. I've watched that film a dozen times. I can't remember. It's a good film, isn't it? Great film. Case Watch it, kids. Say. Yeah, very good film. Uh, my honorary mentions. Pan AM Flight 121, 1947. 15 people died in a crash. Third officer Gene Roddenberry survived. Who's... Ah, there's a name that rings a bell. Yes. And why does it ring a bell, Sam? Because, Tom, he might just have gone on to invent Star Trek. He did indeed. The flight boldly went where no plane has gone before and crashed in the Syrian desert. <laughs> 21 people lived long and prospered. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were the only two I had. <laughs> How many cling on for dear life, Tom? Nice. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I know, Sam, I can't match you with this because I've never watched Star Star Trek or Star Wars. No, I remember saying Star Wars. What? So all of these jokes I've prepared were ones that I pulled up online. Well, that's my <laughs> that's my suggestion for next week's next week's topic ruined. Sci-fi. We can do sci-fi. <laughs> yes. Did you genuinely Google Gene Roddenberry playing crash puns? <laughs> No, no, well, pretty much. No, I, There's I, a website for fucking Star everything, Trek. isn't there? <laughs> I googled Star Trek famous lines. At 1948, there was a plane called the Miss Macau. 23 passengers and three staff. was hijacked mid-air. After a fight in the cockpit, the plane crashes. And it's the earliest known example of a plane jacking. Interesting. 1948. I thought, uh, I thought you were going to go with an ironic incident there in which Miss Macau crashed after hitting Macau. <laughs> On her way to the Miss Macau competition, <laughs> where they were expected to dress as a cow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bertrand Russell, 
the British philosopher, who's yes. quite famous, yeah. he survived a plane crash in Norway when 19 other people were killed. I didn't get the date for that one, though. 1951 National Airlines Flight 83 crashes on landing at Philadelphia Airport, and Frankie Housley, who is the lone flight attendant, saves 10 people's lives but is later found dead in the burnt wreckage of the plane, having gone back into the plane one final time to save an infant. And she's actually found with four other women and two infants, one of the infants actually in her arms. So oh. I, I think that deserves an ovation, Sam. An ovation for Frankie Howes. That does. bravery. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely lady. Yeah, they should name a plane after her. I, I, now, I think she's got a statue outside an airport, I think I read. Good. So she has been honoured, and she was given a, an award for bravery. Yeah, in certain areas of the States, I think she's fairly well known. Very 1958 good. Munich air disaster. Oh, I didn't talk about this one, Sam, but I almost did. You've heard of it, haven't yes, you? Yes, yes, very, very famous in Britain. Yeah. Eight of the Manchester United football team died. Bobby Charlton survived, who was a famous, went on to win the World Cup, in fact, in 1966 with England. Uh, Matt Busby survived too, who went on to be a very successful Manchester United manager. And there's a lot of first-hand accounts of that plane crash by all accounts because a number of members of the team survived managed to climb out of windows etc yes 1971 God, Lanza you have got a lot of these flight... you? <laughs> yeah I have got quite a few there's three more wow 1971 Lanza flight 508 you probably know this one if you because you mentioned about famous survival stories 17 year old sole survivor of a plane crash Julianne Kopka Yes. I think I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, yeah. Trekked through the Amazonian rainforest for eleven days. This is the one that I was going to do, actually. Yeah, this was my ah, this was my second go. choice. Before encountering loggers, and she actually survived a three thousand meter fall and woke up still in her chair. I think that's a world record for the highest fall to be survived whilst in a chair. Whilst in a chair, <laughs> people have attempted it. There's always a caveat with um, these, isn't there? <laughs> A number of people have tried to replicate it, including this Croatian man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he was the highest flight um, survived clinging onto a door, I think. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't tough enough for him, just sitting in a chair. It's been postulated that the reason she, she survived was because she was sitting in the chair. As opposed to dancing like the other passengers. What? <laughs> Everyone was sitting in a chair, Tom. It's a plane. <laughs> I, I know, but they might have been, you know, sucked out of a window or a door or, you know, became dislodged where she had the common sense not to dance. <laughs> she just sat there and when the when the flight attendant said, right, we're about to crash, I'd suggest everyone stand up and boogie. <laughs> yeah. She remained seated with the seatbelt on. If everyone wouldn't mind just dancing to the Bee Gees hit, I will survive, this will all be fine. <laughs> Gloria Gaynor. It's not, it's not a BG oh, it song. Yeah, sorry. I, do you know what I'm confusing it with? I bloody know staying it's Gloria alive. Gaynor. I, yes, I'm confusing it with Staying Alive. Gloria Gaynor is my go-to karaoke song, actually. Is it? That and Bobby Darren's Mac the Knife. I thought you were going to say it's your, fa your go-to fancy dress outfit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Fully blacked up as well. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, there's an idea. Put that one on the back burner. I'll go as Aretha Franklin, Sam. You'd be Gloria Gaynor. All right, we're going to set the town alight. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. 
I would like to point out to people that Sam and I are really not racist. We are, however, quite happy to be offensive. Uh, <laughs> anyone who listened to our slavery podcast will hopefully realise we're, we're not racist. No. <laughs> Just offensive. And if anyone Very is different. offended, please do bear in mind that Tom said it. <laughs> Oh, I actually just said something wrong about that 3,000 metre fall in a chair. Because my next honorary mention, 1972... It's for the world record for the highest free fall in a chair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not far off. Uh, JAT Flight 367, a chap called... Was it a chap or was it a lady? Jesna Vulovic survives a fall of over 10,000 metres. Wow. So there you go, Sam. Every cloud has a silver lining as Jesna knows. So she almost <laughs> almost died, but she did get a world record. That's the way to go, isn't it? If you're going to go, at least take a world record with you. Yeah. And if you survive, fame and fortune. <laughs> the next year when she set out to break that record, didn't end so well. <laughs> You've just described entrepreneurism, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> go all in. Small chance of success, but you could make some real money. <laughs> And then there's a, a very famous one, isn't there? There's the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, 1972. That's the cannibalism yes. in the Andes. Yeah. Which, incidentally, was the first part of the body that they went for. That, the Andes. <laughs> that is possibly the worst <laughs> joke you've ever told. <laughs> it wasn't one that I pre-prepared either. No, you can tell. Oh, a double hitter. Very good. That's the honorary mentions out of the way, isn't it? Do we need to flip something? Yeah, well, I mean, we usually flip something, but to be honest, given that you've given seven honorary mentions already, you might as well just carry on and tell your story. <laughs> All right, I'll go for it. Well, yeah, I'm at that point in my notes. I'm already halfway through my yeah, notes. You're, you're wide awake and raring to go, so you crack on. Okay, so now, I mentioned to you briefly, as we've mentioned to listeners before, we do let each other know roughly what topic we're going for, just so that we don't do the same thing. Did you have any idea who I was going to talk about when I said it was a famous British author? I No, I actually didn't. Good, excellent. So I'm going to do this slightly differently. I thought this would be a good idea. I'm going to not name the person, and you can buzz in whenever you think you've got who it is. Okay. What does your buzz sound like? What does your buzzer sound like? <laughs> that sounded like... That sounded like the fart of someone with a very small sphincter. It is. It's the fart of someone who's excited because they've just realised who the author is. And they're just reaching for their buzzer. Am I allowed to take some wild stabs? Can I take some stabs in the dark now? Or would that ruin it if I guessed it? Oh, that would ruin it if you guessed it. Go, go, go then. You've got got to guess it when you have a a solid idea. You can't just go to a list of famous British authors. (laughs) I'll give you a clue. It's not Charles Dickens. Okay. <laughs> that was a planes haven't been invented yet joke. Probably not Shakespeare either. <laughs> no, no. Oh dear. Right, so this chap, born in Cardiff in 1916. That might give it away straight away, actually. Nope. <laughs> no. Okay, before the Second World War, he was working in Tanzania for Shell Petroleum. At the outbreak of the Second World War, he was made a lieutenant in the King's African Rifles. King's African Rifles. And he fancied having a go at the RAF. So he travelled by car for 600 miles to Nairobi, where he was accepted into the RAF, and he began his flight training, which took place in Nairobi and also Baghdad. God bless the Empire, Sam. God bless the Empire. (laughs) Hey, you go anywhere you like in the world. God bless. 
You absolutely can. Um, you absolutely can. You can go from Nairobi to Baghdad. Sorry, I was, I was going to interrupt with something completely irrelevant. Then. That's the podcast for you. <laughs> yes, it is. So one of Winston Churchill's apparently greatest regrets in life was that he wasn't able to use the RAF to gas rebels in Iraq during the 1920s. <laughs> he's, he's... By gas, by gas. Do you mean like a 14-year-old? He just wanted to poke his bum out <laughs> a window. I think, but, as he was taking given that, his reputation for nudity, I think he probably did that. <laughs> Churchill was oh, not above dude. getting his ass out in public. Was he not? Is he, did he have a reputation for his nudity? Yes, he used to host foreign dignitaries in the bath. <laughs> but yes, well, he, that's a he, sexy he, image, isn't it? He was, yes. <laughs> oh, bubble bath. Oh, Winnie. Covering all the. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Is that a cigar in the bath, or are you just pleased to see me? <laughs> Yeah. But no, he tried to. He want, He really, really wanted to uh, launch poison gas attacks against the Iraqis, but wasn't able to, and lamented the fact that the RAF didn't have the right bombs to deliver gas. So there we go. Oh. Whoever this person is, could well have been involved in genocide, but wasn't, as far as we know. <laughs> or were they? We'll find out Lo- shortly. Or, yeah. <laughs> On next week's edition <laughs> of Flight Fuckups. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway. In August 1940, he was ready to go, so he'd completed his training, and he was assigned to the number 80 squadron RAF Flying Gloucester Gladiators, which was the last biplane used by the RAF. Unfortunately, he hadn't actually been trained to use a Gloucester Gladiator. So in September 1940, he was ordered to fly one in stages from two towns in Egypt, sort of as a relocation thing. And on the final leg, he encountered problems finding the airstrip and he decided to to crash land when his fuel started to run low. The aircraft crashes on landing and he manages to climb out of the plane with a broken nose, fractured skull and zero vision, presumably enough vision to be able to climb out, and and passes out when he reaches a safe distance from the plane, which then by all accounts goes up in flames, I think. And he's rescued and taken to hospital. February 1941, he is back in action flying Hawker Hurricanes from a base near Athens in Greece. Have you have you got any idea who it could be yet? Not really, no. I'm still not quite there. Excellent. Good, good, good. And he was actually an ace. And I didn't realise this. You probably you probably know this. But an ace was uh, was a pilot who had killed more than five enemy... Or, well, not killed, but... Downed more than five Usually enemy. killed. Yeah, downed. Yeah, five or more enemy planes. And in April the same year, 1941, he was involved in a 30-minute long dogfight against a Luftwaffe as part of the Battle of Greece, which was the Italians and the Germans trying to take Greece, alongside the highest-scoring Commonwealth fighter of World War Two. The wonderfully named Marmaduke Thomas St John Paddle. <laughs> that, is, that is just such a good name, though. I know. It's a great Second World War RAF <laughs> name, isn't it? Marmaduke Thomas St John Paddle. Mm. You can just imagine the Germans as they're going down. Just, Damn you, Marmaduke! What a name to shout <laughs> out. Then... I will be avenged against you, Marmaduke! Damn you, damn you. The, the Germans had good names as well, didn't they? They were often called like von Ribbentrop. They yes. had quite noble names. Who's the famous Luftwaffe pilot? Are we talking about Vons? We, well, you don't mean the Red Baron, obviously. The Red Baron, that's the one. Oh, you actually one. do mean the Red Baron. <laughs> yes, the Red Baron. What was his name? Uh, Manfred von Richthofen. Yeah, that's a good name, I think, as well. Manfred von Richthofen. Uh, yes. It's a superb name. So, anyway, Marmaduke Thomas and John Battle. We used to enjoy going out and 
putting it up them, you know. <laughs> he did indeed. Blowing out the old Nazis. Five of the best in the Nazi arsehole. Yeah, 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 bloody squareheads. Hate the buggers. He was actually South African. Much to my disappointment oh. when I when I thought his his name would be really satisfying to say in a silly posh English accent. Well, say his name in a South African accent, Tom. <clears throat> Marmaduke Thomas and John Battle. It's a very good South African. It's a very good. It's a very good South African name. But the problem with my South African is it often merges into a sort of North Auckland Maori accent, which sounds a little bit like this, bro. <laughs> but uh, hey, look some fashion chops. Oh, bro, yeah, sweet hands. <laughs> I'll get some fashion chops. Oh, could I have some tops with my chops? That's just oh, gone yeah, Glaswegian. Get some tops. Fashion <laughs> <laughs> chops. Tops and chops. Yeah. That... I think the trick with a bad South African accent is just to replace every vowel with an i sound. Is that right? Oh, let me try that. Mummy do No, it doesn't. <laughs> Say Marmaduke with an i. Marmaduke. Mummy Call it in the arif. I come from South Africa. Do you? No. <laughs> I think that would be plain to clear from the like accent. <laughs> <laughs> not our best, not our best, but it's making the cut. It's been a while since we did an accent. <laughs> so Marmaduke, Thomas St. John Paddle, he shot down as many as 60 enemy planes. Bloody hell. Yeah, probably somewhere between 40 and 60, but as many as 60 possibly, including five in a day, which made you an ace in a day. Ah, and he actually died in this dogfight. And this seems to be quite common, doesn't it, with successful fighter pilots in the Second World War? They eventually get killed, don't they? Yes. You know, they have a good run. <laughs> Oddly, the ones who died after shooting down just one enemy plane... Nobody remembers them. They also died as well. But <laughs> Everyone died. Yeah. It was good. I, think, I don't think being in the RAF was a particularly good place to be. Well, no, actually, that's not strictly true. One of my granddads was in the RAF, and I think it was excellent. He was always a day behind the fighting. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, ne- he was never actually a pilot. I think he was doing logistical stuff. But, yeah, no, I, wouldn't want- I wouldn't have wanted to be a fighter pilot. No. A high mortality rate, I think. An awful lot of fun, I suspect, whilst you're alive, if you're that way inclined, and then quite a painful death. Yes, Near where we live in Christchurch, New Zealand, there's an airbase and it has a really good aircraft museum and they have on display an original sort of 40s, 50s, 60s flight simulator. It's awesome. It's just like made out of... Rope and buckets. Uh, MDF. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, the MDF plyboard. It's just kind of made out of plyboard. It's like something you get in a playground. But so were the planes. They were made out of plyboard too. So actually very realistic. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose they were. Anyway, shortly after this battle, the author that I'm talking about began suffering with severe headaches and blackouts. So he was invalided home, back to the UK. He then became a diplomat working in the US. I think I know who you're talking about now. Hit me with your prediction stick. Is this author Roald Dahl? It is indeed Roald Ah, Dahl. There. There you go. So the diplomacy thing got you, did it? The diplomacy thing got me, yes. Yeah, that's right. So he went to he went to work in the US, and part of his role was basically to schmoozy up to rich Americans and influential Americans to encourage them to be on the side of joining Pro the war. war. Yes. Yeah, and when he was doing this, he actually became acquainted with C.S. Forrester, who is another famous British author, probably most famous to listeners as the writer of the Hornblower novels, uh, which are um, Napoleonic. Are you a fan of a Hornblower, Tom? Well, the, the, I mean, that is, it is a famous euphemism, isn't it? Horatio Hornblower. Yes. Or, or fellatio Hornblower. 
Yes. His nickname apparently in the novels, I've never actually read any of the novels, was was Horny. So Wow. A uh, fellatio horny. <laughs> they knew exactly what they were saying when they wrote that, didn't they? That's like Roger the Cabin Boy in uh, Captain Pugwash. <laughs> apparently that's an urban myth, isn't it? The Captain It Pugwash. is an urban myth actually. It doesn't yeah. his name isn't, it's Billy the Cabin Boy. Billy the Cabin Boy, yeah. yeah. And Seaman Staines um, and Master Bates aren't real characters either. That's not no, their names. No. Big surprise, actually, when it's a children's book. <laughs> I don't know. If you've seen any 1970s children cartoons, they're pretty druggy a lot of the time. Like the, mag- <laughs> the Magic Roundabout and Mr. Ben. British kids TV from the 70s yeah, was druggy yeah. as. I mean, that episode where Mr. Ben dresses up as Gloria Gaynor. Fuck <laughs> me, you can only get away with that in the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you follow... Oh, what's the guy's name on Facebook? The Facebook page with the guy that does requests for... Jim will paint Microsoft it. Paint. Yeah. Great Facebook page, by the way. <laughs> did, you, did you see his Gruffalo Bill one last week? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, you know Buffalo Bill from uh, Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. Someone requested Gruffalo Bill. So he's <laughs> got the Gruffalo from the children's have book. i to look this up now. It's, it's horrendous. I looked at it and went, Gruffalo Bill? What, what? And it took me a while to, to make the connection to Silence of the Lambs. It's horrendous. <laughs> that is so very good, isn't it? balls tucked in as well. It's awful. <laughs> So, listeners, if you like the vulgar parts of our podcast, you'll like Jimmel and the silly bits. You'll like, you'll love Jimmel Paint It. It's it's a British guy who takes requests for very very silly things to draw in uh, Microsoft Paint. <laughs> Just oh, I and love the that. Gruffalo Bill is particularly dreadful. I love that. <laughs> oh, oh, very dear. good. Anyway, where was I? So, your Saturday Evening Post. Um, asked C.S. Forrester to write a short story based on Dahl's flight experience. And uh, and this was made, so Forrester actually asked Roald Dahl to put together some notes for him to write to write the story. And Forrester was so impressed with Dahl's notes uh, on his flying experience that he submitted it completely unchanged under the title Shot Down Over Libya. And this was Roald Dahl's first ever published book, uh, well, first ever published work in 1942. And his first children's book, which was called The Gremlins, was published in 1943 and is about mischievous little creatures that are sort of part of RAF folklore. Nazis. <laughs> Nazis, yeah, little, tiny little Nazi people who go <laughs> climbing around on planes, you know, and trying to disconnect all of the pipework. The wires, the old pipework, you know, trying to set the engines like bloody little Huns. And, uh, yeah, apparently it was almost made into a Disney film as well. And his 1986 book, Going Solo, is about his time in the RAF. So, yeah, there you are. Roll dial. Fantastic. 250 million copies of his books have been sold worldwide. And many of them have been made, made into films. Like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a famous film, isn't it? Matilda, Witches, James and the Giant Peach, they've all been made into films. Very famous author. Yeah. There you go. Fantastic. The story of Roald Dial. Sorry, I'm, I'm slightly distracted because I'm still on Jim Will Paint It now and I've just looked up Teenage Mutant Tina Turners. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that one. I'm uh, glad you were listening. I, well, I, I was listening. I can multitask. I wasn't listening. I'm now going on Jim Will. I particularly oh, like this. Teenage Mutant Tina Turners. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, I'm going to talk about plane crashes again. Because that's what we're here for, as opposed to this that's car crash of an episode. Just see what I did there. <laughs> so I did that, so I did that. And, and I've gone, by my own definition, I would say this isn't historical. But it is interesting, so fuck it. 
Uh, it's my podcast. I'm breaking the rules. I make the rules, and I'm going to break. It's our them. podcast. <laughs> We're breaking the rules. Oh well, no, it is brilliant. It is yours. I've invested very little other than time and emotional, <laughs> emotional energy. Oh, I bought. A, I bought my microphone. That's true. You did. So, Tom. I think it's fair to say that for most people, a plane crash is bad news. It's not something that you plan, right? You don't think, oh, I'm going to go and crash my plane today. I don't have one. Do you know what? That is the best way to avoid having a plane crash is not to be in a plane or indeed own a plane. It's true. Oh, you can't vault the logic. <laughs> no. But the guy I'm going to talk about today, Tom, deliberately crashed his plane. Mm. and tried to use a plane crash to actually get out of some trouble. Mm. Fortunately for us, and an entertaining story, he wasn't very good at it. Excellent. <laughs> he was a significantly better pilot than he was a plane crash victim, it has to be said. Because today, Tom, I'm going to talk about someone who faked his own death by deliberately crashing his plane. This happened in 2009, so, as I said, by my own definition, I'm breaking the rules of the podcast. 2009 is not very long ago, but hey, I think it's just about long enough. I do, you're fine. <laughs> so this guy is called Marcus Schrenker, and he had it all, Tom. A millionaire, 39 years old, living in a multi-million dollar seafront mansion in Indiana in the US with his wife and three kids. He ran three or four investment and insurance firms, and that brought in enough money to feed a lifestyle of fast cars, uh, stunt flying, and loads and loads of holidays. So he had a couple of his own planes. He would fly around. He'd do acrobatics and aerobatics, drive his fast cars, driving speedboats. He was living the dream. But money can't buy happiness, can it, Sam? If you're a twat. It, <laughs> it could buy me happiness. Yeah, it could buy me happiness. I'd train sets. I would buy massive lots of... Fuck off, great train I'd set. I'd just buy a real train, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, tra my train set would be Virgin Trains. Yes. <laughs> Have this, Richard Branson. I wipe my ass on this check. I pity you, Richard Branson, you pauper. Uh, for anyone in the, in the UK, Virgin Trains is this train company. And I, I wouldn't normally mention this as an aside, but it has the most bizarre habit of having talking toilets. Oh, don't get me started on talking the toilets. Fucking talking toilets on Virgin Trains. When you lock the door in the toilet, which, by the way, always smells of pickled onion monster munch... <laughs> And you close the door, and the toilet and the toilet says to you, "Hello, I'm your toilet." <laughs> it's not does as it, bad a job as people think it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The toilet does seat slaps up and down, and just like a mouth. Yeah. If you're trying to have a piss, it's very distracting because it's just <laughs> twatting your dick every time. <laughs> it's just piss going everywhere. You go, shut up! I'm trying. I'm trying not to hit the side of the seat. <laughs> it's yappering away about its family. See, I'll never guess what Margaret Twat said the other day. Shut up. Twatting your dick. I've just been talking about Roald Dahl, a great, a great author with a way with words, and you've just come up with twatting your dick. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realise that I was supposed to be emulating one of history's greatest children's authors. Maybe if I said it in rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> it made my willy sick when it twatted my dick. That's um, not much better. Um, I was if trying in, to have a tinkle when I quick. felt something on my winkle. If you if you get into the toilet really quick and you go and put your bum down on the toilet before it's had a chance to say its piece, does it go like... <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, pretty much. As it's attempting to swallow a turd and speak at the same time. <laughs> yeah, before eventually coughing and sputtering at the end and saying, there's supposed to be glass on top of that. This was a trust exercise. <laughs> what? What? Oh, 
Oh, good grief. <laughs> Where do they do that in team building? Germany. They do it in <laughs> next, Germany. Next task is we're going to shit on each other's faces. <laughs> oh, good grief. Well, I suspect, Tom, they do it in the training camp for being a toilet. Oh, sorry, they do, yes. After the touted talk course. Yeah. Oh, great. It's when one of them joins a minor religion and you lock the toilet door and the toilet just starts saying, hello, have you heard the good news about Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> right, you are getting a huge turn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pebble dash the back of your throat. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Talk God. shit, get shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Does it actually say have a nice poo? Uh, no, it doesn't. It says, uh, I'm going to stop talking thing. now. <laughs> I mean, you could have not started. This it would have been fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is awkward. I'm a talking toilet. Yeah. You've got your pants around your ankles. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have to deal with this in the workplace. Right, I'm, I'm calling HR. <laughs> Anyway, back to plane crashes and Marcus Schrenker very slowly and after a wonderful and entirely editable aside. Pooey digression. Yes. So, Marcus Schrenker was a very good pilot and a very successful businessman. Unfortunately, he was also suffering from bipolar disorder, which uh, he wasn't getting treated very effectively he wasn't taking his medications and it started to manifest itself in some very odd and eventually some very criminal ways and and what he started to do was to take his clients money to invest it in the various investment firms that he had and then he would move it without their permission or by forging their signature from one different account to another and they would rack up enormous enormous what's called surrender fees every time they did this so he was charging his clients tens of thousands of dollars to fraudulently move their money between different accounts yeah, I'm, I'm no medical expert, but I'm not sure you can justify that that was all because of bipolar disorder. No, it was You'd a be... bipolar disorder with the underlying criminal element. Yeah, it, that sounds like a very prickish excuse for him, doesn't yes. it? Oh, well, yes, probably an underlying level of dickishness. Yes. And white-collar criminal tendencies. But anyway, he was doing this little, a little light fraud, just a little light fraud. And by December 2008, January 2009 time, the net started to close in on his dream life as people started to get suspicious about what he was doing. He was being investigated by the FBI for his business dealings. He had, by this point, eight different people suing him for... Uh, everything from financial misconduct to slandering his clients and failing to pay his staff. His banking licence expired and was then revoked by the Indiana state government and he was being ordered to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars over uh, various cases relating to insurance commission insurance fraud. At the same time, his wife found out he was having an affair with a woman from the airport where his little plane was kept and filed for divorce and it all went tits up in the space of about a month. And it was his... Fucking fault. The big tit. Yes, he went from having it all to having nothing. And like all good people who are absolutely to blame for their own misfortune, he decided he would run away from it. <laughs> <laughs> so, on January 10th, 2009, he loaded a pickup truck with cash, food, supplies and a motorbike, drove to Alabama and parked it up in a garage. And the next day, he took his plane, which was a little uh, single-engine plane called a, a Piper, and took off from Anderson Airfield in Indiana. 
and he had a flight plan logged for the town of Destin in North Florida, a few miles off the border with Alabama. And when you fly a plane, you have to log with the airport where you're going to go. So he filed his flight plan saying he was flying to Destin in North Florida. Now, this is where it all gets a bit James Bond, Tom, in a sort of shit way. <laughs> As he flew over Alabama, he sent out a distress call saying that the windscreen on his plane had exploded, it had showered him with glass and he was bleeding badly and not able to control the plane. At this point, he popped open the plane door, popped on a parachute and jumped out, leaving the plane on autopilot. Now, the plane was still being tracked on radar, but because there was now no one answering the air traffic control calls to see if he was alright and still alive, two military jets were launched to investigate and, if necessary, intervene. By intervene, shoot it down. Check on his condition, but basically shoot him down. These two planes arrived pretty quickly and noticed, and this is the first hole in his cunning plan, Tom, noticed very quickly that the plane was empty and the door was open. <laughs> <laughs> And this little plane was quite happily flying itself along. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a plane. I'm free. (laughs) Where can I go now? I've dreamed of this moment my whole life. And it did. It poodled along quite happily with these two military jets following it at presumably very low speed for 200 miles. Like, like, this sounds like OJ Simpson. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Just a really low speed car chase. (laughs) So yeah, this plane flew itself 200 miles to Florida, where thanks to the intervention of the two US Air Force fighters, it eventually crashed very close to some houses and nearly killed a lot of people. But it crashed in a swamp and within moments, investigators leapt onto the wreckage and found absolutely nothing wrong to suggest that anyone had been injured and a series of suspicious pieces of evidence, including a guide to American campsites with the pages for Florida (laughs) and Alabama torn out. (laughs) Marcus Schrenker, great pilot, not a particularly good criminal. I'm just putting it out there, not a very good criminal. Did they find the packaging from like a joke pair of glasses, nose and a moustache? <laughs> yeah. That had been disguised on the floor. Well, it's funny you should say that, Tom. It's funny you should talk about shit disguises. <laughs> because whilst all this was happening in the in the kind of the hour or so since the plane had been spotted empty and crashed, Schrenker had landed with his parachute in the middle of Alabama and had started to try and find his way to safety. And around 2.30 in the morning, he found a house and managed to wake up the owners, which is very brave in Alabama to knock on a door at 2.30 in the morning in the middle of the countryside and not get shot. Yes. But then Marcus Schrenker's white, so... Yes, I'm sorry, I almost did that, but I didn't, because of my earlier comments. <laughs> it's anti-racism. It's definitely anti-racism. So he knocked on the door around 2.30 in the morning and managed to hitch a lift into the nearest town, which was called Childersburg, claiming he'd been in a canoeing accident and had been hurt in a canoeing accident. This was despite Tom only being wet from the waist down and still wearing a pair of flying goggles and some overalls. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about shit disguises... Mm. He was wearing some fluffy leather goggles <laughs> and claimed he'd been he the clue. He this one through very well, No, had he, he hadn't. No, he had not. Now, what do you do, Tom? You're on the run for the, from the law. You're wearing a pair of goggles and a boiler suit. You're wet from the waist down. You've just been dropped off in town. Where do you go next, Tom? What do you do? Um... Uh, 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 um... <laughs> Hmm. It sounds very much like you just worked out which author I'm talking about. <laughs> mm. Mm. 
McDonald's drive through <laughs> This is your toilet talking. Have you checked your fibre, Tom? <laughs> no, Tom, he went to the police station. Why? Why? Uh, because he wanted to try and find somewhere to stay, and Childersburg didn't have a hotel. So, <laughs> so he thought a cell would be comfortable, did he? Well, no, so in an act of monumental stupidity, he went to the police and asked for a lift to the nearest hotel. <laughs> Fuck's sake, man. Get to South America. Yes. And in an even more stupid act, and I think this is why I think the mental illness probably did have something to do with this, he actually gave him his driving licence as they questioned him about his canoeing accident. What a strange chap. I know. Fortunately, at the time, no one had realised really what had happened or who the pilot of this plane was, and they hadn't put out a call for a wanted individual yet. So the police, believing him because they're rural police from Alabama and that sounds plausible. Someone wearing flying gears had a canoeing accident at two o'clock in the morning. They gave him his driving license back and did indeed drive him to the nearest hotel, where he checked in under a false name this time. Quick learner, this uh, Marcus Schrenker. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> and after a few hours of sleep, he ran off into the woods before the police realised what had happened and came looking for him the next morning. At this point, he hitched a couple of lifts and went to get his motorbike full of cash and headed for Florida. Because like all good stupid, slightly unhinged criminals, you return to the scene of the crime and go camping, Tom. Camping. (laughs) Yes. So having jumped out in Alabama, flown his plane all the way to Florida and then crashed it, he then returned several days later to the scene of very near the plane crash (laughs) to go camping. Well, it's the place they're least likely to look, isn't it, Sam? It is the place they're least likely to look. Now, that's precisely why I'm going Yes. <laughs> Finding the victim of a plane crash near the plane is what they'll most expect. And that is my double bluff. And <laughs> <laughs> So he got on his bike, which he'd very carefully hidden in Alabama. And instead of driving far away from the scenes of his crimes... He drove straight towards them. Once he got over the Alabama border and into the town of Quincy, booked himself into a campsite, again under a false name. But by this time, a huge manhunt had been launched to track this guy down. They knew who he was and they were after him. So hundreds and hundreds of officers were on his trail in Florida and Alabama. So he really should have run somewhere else and fled, or at the very least kept a low profile. Instead, Tom, he did what all good criminals do, and logged on to the campsite Wi-Fi to check his emails. Oh, you silly bastard. Yeah. And one of these emails to uh, was to a friend of his, a guy called Tom Britt, and he told Tom Britt in this email that the crash was a misunderstanding. Quite how a plane crash is a misunderstanding, I don't know. And that he checked into a hotel and run away out of embarrassment. It's not because he was trying to fake his own death. It was out of embarrassment, Tom. But he said he'd likely be gone by the time that Brit read the email, which meant either suicide or fleeing. It wasn't quite clear from what he wrote. Either way, Brit took the email straight to the FBI. Now, by this time, it was January 12th. And by the evening of January 13th, knowing that he was in Florida or Alabama because of his guide to camping grounds that he'd taken with him and uh, with some information from the email, for example, where it was fucking sent from, the FBI tracked him down. God, they're clever, the FBI, aren't they? They are clever, aren't they? They are clever. Yeah. It hadn't helped that Marcus had done himself no favours by acting very suspiciously around the campsite owners, who pretty quickly put two and two together when the local police called round to see if anything was up or anyone strange was staying with them. When the police found him, he had actually tried to cut his wrists and was barely conscious, but they did manage to save him, and he was arrested after three days on the run and a major manhunt throughout the southern US. The next day... 
so still in hospital. He was charged with 11 counts of unlicensed banking by the state of Indiana, uh, which he later pled guilty to. And in June 2009, so a few months later, he was charged with destroying an airplane without permission, which apparently is a crime. This is his own plane, isn't it? Yeah. Well, actually, he had it on finance. He was later ordered to right. pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to the legal owner, which was Harley Davidson, weirdly. He was also charged with faking a distress call and wasting Coast Guard time and was jailed for two separate sentences of 51 months and 10 years. Fined around $1.5 million in total. He lost most of his lawsuits and owed millions more in various different findings against him. And basically, life went from bad to worse for him. He was eventually released from prison in 2015, having served just over five years and now lives in Florida, where he works as a pastor and a priest, Tom. Because if you really want to con people out of money, banking's for bloody amateurs, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Organised religions, where it's at. Not, of course, that we're suggesting in any way that he is still conning people out of money, just that plenty of people who are priests do. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Jesus said, "You, if you believe in the Lord, you need to donate. Nothing says I have faith and I believe like setting up a direct debit. Mm-hmm. And the more you can pay, the greater your tree will grow. Indeed. And the closer to the Lord you will find yourself. The more you water it, the better it will grow. Hallelujah. And on the tenth day, the Lord came down and said, I will accept PayPal. I will accept <laughs> PayPal into my heart. John 33.10 What's this I feel? God, I feel the Lord welling up inside of me. I feel it coming right up from deep inside my body. (laughs) Oh, that's better. (laughs) I I saw a great video the other day of a televangelist doing an exorcism on a woman who was convinced that she was... um, Constipated. No. Even better, Tom. She was convinced that she'd been possessed by the demon of masturbation. <laughs> and there's this pen evangelist <laughs> just, just heaving gallons of holy water at her vagina <laughs> crotch while she's speaking in tongues and dancing. And he's screaming, Out, masturbatory demon! Get out, demon of all all sex! <laughs> I command thee in the name of the Lord! Out, thou demon! And let this woman rest herself in peace. Give this woman's loins some time to recover. Is she like? Is she like the child from The Exorcist? I want to have a fucking wank. I want to have a wank. I want to have a wank. Oh, come on. Oh, give me more of that water. Oh, when you say the child from The Exorcist, do you mean any given thirteen-year-old boy? Horny as a bloody much here. Right, let's finish this up. <laughs> that came out all Excellent. that came out all wrong. <laughs> That's what she said. Hey. Hey. Right. <laughs> so there we go, Tom. Marcus Schrenker faked his own death by crashing his plane and then did absolutely everything he possibly could to get caught again. What a donkey. What an amateur. Very good criminal banker. Actually not a very good criminal banker. Uh, very good pilot. Actually not a not a very good pilot. And an excellent priest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we should probably think of what to talk about next week, shouldn't we? Yes. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, um, rivers. Oh, go on, rivers. It's almost as if we didn't have this conversation before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well styled out. Well acted, Tom. Well acted. Nice. Thank you very much. Yes, I think we'll do rivers next week. I've, I've already decided what I'm going to do. Have you? 
Well, don't spoil it for the audience. No, I won't. Is it a river? It, it, it is a famous phrase to do with a river from uh, Rome. Is it? Unless I change my mind. Is it Crimea River, Justin Timberlake's hit single? <laughs> from AD 10. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Justinian Timberlake. <laughs> Crying yeah. a rivers. <laughs> <laughs> a rhythm. Nothing to do with Justin Justinian Timberlake. Good. But, well, well, we've gone on for long enough, haven't we? That's enough. Quite enough of that. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have, please do subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Leave us a lovely review and do follow us on social media. Although I have to admit we've been a bit lazy with social media recently, but we are on... Social media is shit. Yeah, Just listen to our podcast. Just listen to podcasts, yeah. That's where the gold is. But if you do want to follow us on social media and see occasional pictures of us when we were teenagers, uh, you can find us on Twitter at that underscore was underscore genius and on Instagram and Facebook at that was genius. Tune in next week for an exciting delve into rivers. You're going to do a shipwreck, aren't you, you bastard? No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. Really? And on that exciting note... I'm going to do ancient Rome instead and I'll probably get a nice saucy sauce. Ooh, if there's two things you love, it's shipwrecks and sauces. It is. And if I can combine the two. And if that's not tempting enough, audience... I'll probably do some talking as well. Have a good one. Ta-ra. And just finally, before we go, a quick shout out to our friends at the 10-ish podcast, which is a great podcast hosted by two guys called Nick and Brandon, which looks at a new top 10-ish list every Wednesday. It's funny, it's inappropriate, and it's got hot dogs. Here's a few words from Nick and Brandon themselves. So do go check it out. Hi, my name is Nick. I'm Brandon. We are the hosts of the Tennis Podcast, where every week we cover a different top tennis list. We cover lists such as the highest grossing films of all time, the best selling musicians of all time, the the sexiest mogwais, the richest leprechauns, the all this and more we cover on the Tennis Podcast. I had more. You can find us on all podcast players, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. All you got to do is search for 10ISH podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TennisPod. And Brandon, what will we do if the listeners don't check out our podcast? We'll cut your fucking head off. Don't make us cut your fucking head off. Listen to the Tennis Podcast. Bye.